Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Happy Tuesday. Uh, I am Jason Whitlock, and this is Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Uh, thank you for joining me. Uh, awesome show today. We'll be joined by uh, Royce White, Shamika Michelle, and uh, the smartest man on the show, Delano Squires. Uh, Royce and Shamika will be here to help me talk about uh, the fire I'm about to start on Joe Rogan. Uh, Delano will be here to talk about the column he's written today in reaction to the latest bit of uh, BLM being in the news cycle. Uncle Jimmy will help us close the show out with a review of the show and uh, help me do an approval rating on Joe Rogan. Uh, but let's get this party started. Uh, journalist should be Joe Rogan's most passionate defenders. His massive podcast following is built on asking questions. Rogan is an interviewer, not an opinionist. He's Bob Lee, not Skip Bayless. Do we even remember Bob Lee, the longtime ESPN broadcaster? Lee joined the sports network three days after his 1979 launch and was its signature on-air journalist until 2019. Lee retired, ESPN abandoned his signature show, Outside the Lines, which was sports television's version of Nightline. Joe Rogan's success proves that journalism still makes good business sense. The presentation of information can still drive an audience. Information doesn't need to be dressed up with bombast and snark. Joe Rogan should be a hero. Instead, he's being turned into a pariah. His three-hour interviews with doctors who question the prevailing COVID narratives are being framed as an existential threat to our democracy and health. Rogan's interviews are so dangerous that Pulitzer Prize-winning New York Times reporter Nicole Hannah-Jones accused Rogan of being racist. In a since-deleted tweet, Hannah-Jones alleged that Rogan's popularity is due to America's comfort with racism. Hannah Jones shared a compilation video of Rogan using the N-word. There's no context to the video. We don't know how Rogan used the word. For some people, context does not matter. Rogan is white, he used the N-word, he's racist. I've watched Rogan's interviews with Dr. Robert Malone and Dr. Peter McCullough. Malone and McCullough offered COVID opinions that contradict the official government-approved narrative. I've seen a half dozen other Rogan interviews. His interviews don't strike me as particularly dangerous. I've heard nothing racist from Rogan. He's a comedian who likes to use drugs. It wouldn't surprise me if he's cracked jokes that could be deemed bigoted. In pursuit of laughs, comedians push the envelope. 
From Dave Chappelle to Red Fox to Andrew Dice Clay to Paul Mooney, comedians use racial stereotypes to make audiences laugh. Now we're using accusations of racism to silence people who ask the wrong questions or interview the wrong people. Nicole Hannah-Jones, the New York Times Big Pharma and Big Tech are determined to smear Joe Rogan with the same brush that smeared Alex Jones and Donald Trump. Most people believe Jones and Trump deserve to be smeared and deplatformed. The same is true of black nationalist Louis Farrakhan. But where does the censorship stop? Joe Rogan is a bigot? Is Bill Maher next? Dave Chappelle, he's transphobic. When they're done deplatforming and demonizing comedians, Christian ministers will be next. It's already happening. Ministers are afraid to preach biblical truth. Their goal now is to be inclusive. In a healthy, free society, journalists, comedians, and ministers should feel liberated to explore and discuss uncomfortable truths. Newspapers, comedic stages, and pulpits were sacred grounds for truth-telling. Journalists, comedians, and ministers are supposed to set the boundaries for truthful debate. Big tech is a very poor substitute. All right, so that's my fire. Joe Rogan, again, and, and I'm aware, I know people right now, oh, what do you mean? Didn't you see the video? Joe Rogan in 2013, he's, he he's went and saw the movie Planet of the Apes in an all-black neighborhood, and he made inappropriate comments about it. Let, let, I want to, let's put it all on the table. Let, let's, before I bring Royce in, let's play the clip of Joe Rogan talking about going to see the movie Planet of the Apes in a black neighborhood. Yeah, we can't go to there. So I go, you got to go to uh, one where there's Planet of the Apes, man. We're going to go see Planet of the Apes. So I look on the iPhone app, and it says, okay, take me to this one. And the guy goes, okay. I go, is that in a good neighborhood? He's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Guy barely speaks English. He takes us there. We get out, and we're giggling. Oh, we're going to go see Planet of the Apes. We walk into Planet of the Apes. <laughs> we walked into Africa, dude. We, we, we walked in the door, and there was no white people. There was no white people. We, Planet of the Apes didn't take place in Africa. Was, that was a racist thing for me to say. But you see what I'm saying. What I'm saying is. Flies we, automatically stuck to your head. Yeah, we, we, what happened is we walked into the blackest neighborhood we could find i mean it was there was literally no white people it was amazing and everybody was super cool you know it wasn't a negative experience and this is something i, I wrote on on twitter that uh we all went to uh we see uh planet of the apes in a black neighborhood an experience i highly recommend really? and all these f people started calling me a racist i mean dozens of twitter people dude i didn't know you were racist f you like black people were saying you. I'm like, listen, man, I am saying it was a positive experience. Yeah, it was I said party, I highly right? recommend it. And it was a black neighborhood. I, I don't care. I mean, I, I really don't. I, I Anybody that knows anything about comedians, and particularly these Hollywood comedian crowd that love drugs, and getting all kinds of inappropriate conversations and say all kinds of inappropriate things, black, white, whatever, if they're a comedian and they're in search of being funny and they're talking amongst their friends and themselves, they say all kinds of inappropriate things. I could care less. 
because I've said all kinds of inappropriate things about black people, about white people, about Asian people, about Latino people. I've done it all. Joe Rogan says today's Tuesday, it doesn't matter if he cracked an inappropriate plan of the ape jokes. It's still a fact. Today's Tuesday. But this is the society that we've created. This is the new, if, if you want, if someone says something that corporate media, big pharma, big tech, doesn't want heard, we're going to smear them as racist, and therefore, once you put that label on them, Hannah Nicole Jones does it for you, or whoever, whomever you, Nicole Hannah Jones, whoever the hell you've hired to smear that person, you put that label on them, and now you can ignore anything else that they say. If, they if someone was to jump out and say, hey, look, there's a bus that's going to hit you if you cross that street, you got to ignore it because oh, <laughs> Nicole Hannah-Jones says that he's racist. He used the N-word. Go ahead and step out on that street and get hit by that bus because that person's racist. Anything they say is untrue because they've said something non-PC in their past. I, I, I'm so over this, but this is where we're at in society. Uh, and you know, I'll be canceled or I, they've been trying to cancel me forever. And it's, it's in order to survive in corporate media, you gotta play that game and make sure you say all the right things. Uh, but let's let's roll out to Minneapolis. Bring in my man Royce White. Uh, Royce, uh, we'll start here. What should we think of Joe Rogan? Is he an existential threat? Is his COVID misinformation a threat to our very the existence of this society? Good to be back with you, Jason. Um, look. Shout out to Joe Rogan, man. You know, he's he's right in the crosshairs of the enemy. And, and that's exactly where where we should all strive to be in this day and age. Uh, we, we should all be so lucky, to be honest. Um, look, Joe Rogan's an American institution at this point, and deservedly so. He has stood in the breach when, when, uh, when the establishment has tried to constrain power and censor the truth. And, you know, we all owe him a huge thank you for that, right? And, and that's probably the understatement of the century. What, what Joe Rogan has done for society is really unquantifiable, in my opinion. Okay, now, if I had been there in that situation, or if I knew Joe personally, I probably would have checked him on that, on that comment and kept it moving. And I think we should be able to do that. I would expect the same from Joe if I made a comment about white people or Irish people or Italians or people who come from Boston that he thought was over the line. Um, and, and that's okay, we should be able to do that and move on. However, I don't think that Joe Rogan is a racist by any means. I don't think that Joe Rogan is a malicious guy. In fact, I'm a huge fan of Joe Rogan's podcast and and I, I, I like Joe, I, I like Joe a lot. Um, this isn't about Joe Rogan being racist. This isn't about the establishment trying to protect black people from, from racist voices. This is about Joe Rogan having bucked the establishment, okay? Having gone against the establishment and on many occasions caught them with their pants down. First, it was with Alex Jones. 
Then more recently with this entire ivermectin scandal that they pulled, uh, you know, a couple months ago. And most recently with Spotify and and the the whole fight with Neil Young um, that he won. Right. So so Joe Rogan has taken the establishment to the mat and he's winning, you know, more times than not. And and honestly, this is what we're going to continue to see now. We're going to continue to see an establishment try and go back in people's past, find a smoking gun of racism, claim that they're doing it on behalf of black people when really they just want to hang it over somebody like Joe Rogan and Spotify's head to get them to bow at the altar of intersectionality in the church of LGBTQ. I actually find that offensive. What Joe said isn't, isn't really dangerous to me at all. What, racism is like, if you don't vote for me, you're not black. Joe Biden. I tend to agree with you, or not even tend, I agree with you. I, 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 I guess I should say, I'm a little concerned that Joe Rogan and Spotify are going to fall here. I I didn't, Joe issued a a weak, half-hearted apology, and and I guess some people are giving him credit, at least he didn't fully apologize, but I think any sort of apology is a step in the wrong direction. And so I I, I tend to think, because now they're putting a, uh, some kind of advisory on his podcast that, you know, and, and it's, 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 I sit and think of all the things that uh, we are allowed to say in this society that, 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 cause again, most people never hear a full Joe Rogan podcast. Most people, the overwhelming majority of Americans don't even know who Joe Rogan is. And they certainly haven't heard these podcasts with these interviews. And we're acting like, oh my God, if he's not stopped, America can't exist. But we have popular music that spews far more negative information, far more promotion of things that are harmful than Dr. Malone or Dr. McCullough and whatever their opinions are about the vaccine. And, and no one cares. No, no, yeah. no one, I, Dr. Dre and Eminem and Snoop are about to do halftime. Their music is far more pervasive and popular and says more dangerous stuff than, than anything heard in a Joe Rogan podcast but they're the Super Bowl halftime show. I, I don't know. I, I Royce, I, I'm just a little bit. I think Joe Rogan and Spotify are going to buckle here. It's too much money at stake. Nah, I, 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 I'd say not. Um, you know, I think I think we're at another turning point within this small turning point. Like I said, Joe Rogan held the breach uh, during a, a pivotal moment in this country's history and society's history. Um, but we're at a we're at a, a midterm, right? And, and it would be a, you know conveniently we are at a midterm in, in the election cycle. I think that you know I think what Spotify is doing is showing people uh, how to be an institution in this day and age. And you know if if anything you can say about Joe, the the one critique of Joe is that he's pretty down the middle, right? He he's almost maybe a little too down the middle for the crisis that we're in, right? He's obviously 
seeing the corruption for himself now, especially with the ivermectin deal. But traditionally, he has kind of been down the middle and, and, and always done his best to conform in a way to YouTube or Google or whoever the powers that be are to be able to keep his platform. Now, he's put up more of a fight than a lot of mainstream people, but he's he's conformed a bit. He's not radical. And it's not by accident that they try and set the bar of radical at somebody who's more down the middle. And all of it is this attempt to basically create, uh, you know, a, a moral selectiveness that they get to determine. Right. And, and you can talk about the rap music and, and, and those things are good examples for sure. Uh, but prime example is let's let's look at the LGBTQ push down the throat. OK, if it's a if it's a public health crisis for Joe Rogan to talk about ivermectin, which one does work, I took it myself. And, and even if it doesn't work as we believe it does in some circles, it certainly isn't dangerous as they try to put it out to be. So if that's it, but if that's a public health crisis, the HIV rate of homosexual black men in this country is 50 percent. OK, you got a better chance of contracting HIV as a black homosexual male than you do of dying of COVID. So how is it okay for the Grammys to openly promote homosexuality amongst young black males like little Nas X? Is that not a public health crisis? Of course it's not because we're all at the altar of intersectionality in the church of LGBTQ. Okay, so they get to say what's, what's dangerous and what's not. And it's a farce, it's a scam, right? It's a three card Monty, it's a classic. Who, because they're going to move on from Joe Rogan, because it's like for a minute, Dave Chappelle was in the crosshairs. And, and now it's Joe Rogan. And, and I believe comedians are in the crosshair because of the role they've played in society. They've always been free to speak the truth and say things that everybody else is, is supposed to be impolite for them to say. And so I, I think like Bill Maher, is, is next up. He ke- on his HBO show, he keeps saying things he's not supposed to say. He's, another, he's not into the boosters and the whole uh, mandate deal. I think it's only a matter of time before Bill Maher is under a similar attack as Joe Rogan. They're gonna keep clipping people. I mean, they're gonna keep trying to. Now, Joe's in a unique position. I mean, Joe is, one of the biggest media forces in human history. Bill Maher, not the same level. I'm, no disrespect to Bill. I, I think Bill has a great show. I like Bill, but but he's not on Rogan's level. So Rogan's playing with a different with a different hand. Um, but but the point is, they're going to keep trying to clip people, right? And I, I witnessed it firsthand. I was living in Canada playing professional ball there when Jordan Peterson's thing first hit the airwaves, and and this is the new method. The new method is to censor truth, to create a false standard of inappropriateness or political correctness that can hold swath, suppress the truth that the people need to hear. And, and, and honestly, if you go back to a friend of mine like Steve Bannon, what Steve is, and they've censored him. I mean, he's already banned from YouTube. They took his show War Room down and, you know, thank God he found another platform and has continued to get the downloads, you know, on his platform. But they, they banned him already. And what he has tried to do essentially, and this is an example of what they're trying to do, what he's tried to do is bridge the gap, okay, of a populace that continues to vote and purchase against its own interest, 
And he went against the Republican establishment first. And of course, he's called out the liberal globalist agenda. But I mean, Steve Bannon is not radical, right? There are some radical voices and these guys aren't, aren't really that radical. So it, it's a huge indicator of how afraid the establishment is and how arrogant they are at controlling the narrative when they go after voices that are pretty straight down the middle. And we should all be fearful of that. What's happening to Rogan is making me like reevaluate everybody. And so for, they had me convinced for the law, like, man, Alex Jones was probably one of the craziest people on the planet. But nope. now that they've now that they have done this to Joe Rogan, I'm up for a new understanding of who Alex Jones is. Alex Jones, I, I gotta, I gotta stop because th this, this one, I, I, I take really offensive, right? And I'm not the biggest Alex Jones fan by any means, okay? Alex Jones has been right so many more times, and he's been wrong. He's actually the first example of them trying to create this false bar of political incorrectness. You gotta remember, you paint, you're painting Alex Jones as this far right-wing white supremacist, he came onto the scene going after George Bush and the Republican establishment. It's the most blatant three-card mob. It's the, the, the most troubling thing of our time is how easily the establishment has been able to demonize people who are actually fighting on behalf of the common people. And it's a liberal, it's a liberal disease, no doubt. It's, it's the strangest thing. I'm like, even me, I'm anti-Semitic, I'm transphobe, uh, misogynist, homophobe, xenophobe, the whole nine. Fine. Let's just put that on the table. Call me those things. Are you going to talk about the $30 trillion that the Fed has stole from your great-great-grandchildren? And if you're not, the only question that we need to ask ourselves now going forward of these people, are you ignorant to it or are you in on it? Alex Jones is neither ignorant to it nor in on it because he's been in the crosshairs of every uh, uh, aggressive action on behalf of the establishment. Now, has he said some things I don't agree with? Absolutely. It's okay to not agree with everything somebody says. You've said some things I don't agree with, Jason. I love you to death. That's fine. We're becoming soft, and in our softness, we've allowed a very predatory enemy that sits above us with the sword of Damocles and tells us what we should think. And that's never how a free society was supposed to work. Well, I, and the last one on my list of just like, which I, they never got me on board with the demonization of Trump. I mean, every rapper, everybody black was best friends with Trump until he became president and then he became the worst person in the world and a member of the KKK and it just, it, it's almost like it's a badge of honor if they do try to deplatform you or smear you at this point it, it it's probably a pretty good indication that, that you're actually standing on some level of truth we, we should all be so lucky right we should all be so lucky to try and be deplatformed by a corrupt establishment and many people have still have these elitist pipe dreams that they want to become superstars in this society, in this culture. But you don't want to be an accepted, you know, middle of the road, moderate, uh, well taken celebrity in this era. It's just an indicator that you're fake. 
many of our politicians, our public figures, our athletes, our commentaries, all of them have have opted for that to try and survive, you know, this this corrupt society. And who wants to do that? There's nothing glorious or, or honorable about that, in my opinion. Royce, I want to thank you for the time. Appreciate it. Uh, you've helped my understanding of this conversation. Uh, we'll talk to you later in the week. Uh, Shamika Michelle is going to uh, join us next, but I want to tell you about our friends Keeps. For those of you who are getting older and feeling more sensitive about your hair, <laughs> I have something great for you. Thanks for our new friends over at Keeps. Keeps has you covered. It's genius. Keeps offers doctor-recommended, clinically proven, research-backed treatments to stop hair loss and improve hair growth. Keeps physicians will help you select the right products and treatments for your specific condition and hair goals. All Keeps treatment plans are delivered straight to your door at about half the cost of a traditional pharmacy. With Keeps, you get quality, expert care without visiting a doctor's office or pharmacy. Whether you're looking to prevent hair loss, stimulate hair growth, or just take better care of your hair, you have Keeps has you covered. Hair loss stops with Keeps. To get 50% off your first order, go to keeps.com slash fearless. That's keeps, K-E-E-P-S dot com slash fearless. All right, time to roll out to North Carolina and bring in the First Lady of the Fearless Army, uh, Shamika Michelle, and we will continue our conversation about Joe Rogan and why Joe Rogan is such an existential threat that he now must be uh, framed as, or framed, is, is that the right word I'm looking for? Portrayed as racist. Uh, as a way to uh, silence him. I, I believe we still have the clip of the uh, Planet of the Apes uh, clip. I, I, I kind of wanted to play that and just, we'll start, yeah, I think we have it. Shmeek, I want to start with, uh, by playing this clip of Joe Rogan. And I think in 2013, he seems to be in a podcast interview cracking a joke here. L let let's play the clip. Yeah, we can't go to there. So I go, you got to go to uh, one where there's Planet of the Apes, man. We're going to go see Planet of the Apes. So I look on the iPhone app, and it says, okay, take me to this one. And the guy goes, okay. I go, is that in a good neighborhood? He's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Guy barely speaks English. He takes us there. We get out, and we're giggling. Oh, we're going to go see Planet of the Apes. We walk into Planet of the Apes. <laughs> we walked into Africa, dude. We, we, we walked in the door, and there was no white people. There was no white people. We, Planet of the Apes didn't take place in Africa. Just, that was a racist thing for me to say. But you see what I'm saying. What I'm saying is. Flies we, automatically stuck to your head. Yeah, we, we, what happened is we walked into the blackest neighborhood we could find. I mean, it was there was literally no white people. It was amazing. And everybody was super cool. You know, it wasn't a negative experience. And this is something I, I wrote on, on Twitter that uh, we all went to uh, see uh, Planet of the Apes in a black neighborhood, an experience I highly recommend. Really? And all these f people started calling me a racist. I mean, dozens of Twitter people, dude, I didn't know you were racist. F you, like black people were saying 
And I'm like, listen, man, I am saying it was a positive experience. Yeah, it was I said, party, I highly right? recommend it. And it was a black neighborhood. <clears throat> so Joe Rogan is now a racist. And now that he's a racist, uh, his interviews with Dr. Malone and Dr. McCullough and any skepticism they have about COVID must all be dismissed because in a podcast interview, uh, Joe Rogan appears to be correct, uh, cracking uh, non-PC jokes. Uh, Shamika, help me understand, what should we think about Joe Rogan? For one, I want black people to stop acting like we've cornered the market on apes. That's one of the things that really bothers me. I had the opportunity before Dick Gregory passed to assist him in one of his shows. He asked for some volunteers to come on stage. I was one of them. And he had us to open this massive poster of an ape. And he said, when it comes to black people and white people, who has the smallest lips? whose lips resemble this ape. And it wasn't ours. Ours are not the smallest lips. He said, now when it comes to black people and white people, who has the most hair on their body? It wasn't us. He said, I want black people to stop acting like anytime somebody mentions the ape or says anything, that we have to take ownership of it. That actually freed me a lot because anytime we hear someone say anything about an ape or a gorilla or a monkey, we just automatically take that and we're so, you know, disgusted by it or so upset by it that it really hurts our feelings. Whatever Joe Rogan meant by that, I assume that he meant because it was black. I don't care. He's a comedian. As you said, they say insulting things all the time. And we have to be strong enough to know, I don't look like an ape. It doesn't bother me. It was, it's funny. Sometimes I'll say, you know, my, my mother-in-law used to always say, stop acting like an untamed gorilla. I say that a lot now myself, just from hearing her say it for over 20 years. It doesn't bother me. And the fact that now, years later, we want to say he's a racist and we want to now discredit his interviews because of it, it just seems very disingenuous. Why Why wasn't he canceled in 2013? Why was he allowed to sign a $100 million uh, contract with Spotify if he was so racist? Now, because he's actually doing something against the mainstream media or the narrative that Big Pharma wants to push that's all we have is that he's racist it is it, it's, it's very disingenuous and I don't buy it you know it's one of those deals where we are allowing ourselves to be used constantly by corporate media by the left by, by whom we are our emotions and oh my god you've offended uh, black people, and therefore you must deplatform, censor, walk away, cancel this person, X, Y, and Z, for things that have nothing to do with, with black people. Because they're upset with Joe Rogan, not over his Planet of the Apes joke. They're upset with him because he interviewed some doctors who disagree with the corporate approved narrative on COVID. And so, it's like, okay, we got our trusty black people here. Uh, we're mad with Joe Rogan about COVID. 
we're going to use black people to silence him and to scare off anybody else who may uh, disagree with our COVID narrative because what they're basically saying, because this is why I handle all these situations the same way, uh, is I've said so many inappropriate things, so many throughout my life. I'll probably say some more today, later in private, but I certainly in my past have cracked jokes and have said things that don't cast me in a great light. And most people are like that. I know that everybody gets on social media and pretends like they're these perfect people and everything that comes out of their mouth has been perfectly approved. It's just not the case. Everybody knows like, man, if they went and hunted through everything I've said over the course of, they can find people that will, will say, man, Whitlock said X, Y, or Z, or Shamika said X, Y, or Z. And so it, it, it's any other podcaster out there, they're basically saying, don't you interview these doctors that disagree with our COVID narrative because we will go through your past and find the one, two, or three things you've done that in retrospect are horrible and we will smear you. And most people don't wanna take that risk. Joe Rogan, I think, is married. Uh, I think he has kids. Uh, who wants to put their family through what Joe Rogan's experience, and I know he's made a lot of money and, and that, eases the pain, but who wants their reputation smeared in this way just for interviewing people and, and, and then to know that corporate media, big tech, social media will at some point cast you as this racist, evil person. Most people can't survive that kind of scrutiny and so they'll just go along to get along and they'll never question anything. And, and I, I just wanna say to uh, black people, it's like, when are we gonna stop and, and stop them from using us this way? It, it, it's like, in order to halt the truth, we, let's just call something racist and then the truth just has to stop. And, and why are we allowing ourselves to be the tactic that, that stops people from exploring the truth? We always allow them to pull on our heartstrings and they know that it works. That's why they're using racism when they talk about voter suppression. There is nothing, we are not oppressed. We can get ID. We can go to the polls and get to the polls. We don't need them passing out fried chicken and water bottles in, in long voting lines. If you're gonna be hungry, bring you a PB&J from home. Like these things are what we allow them to do and it's worked year after year after year, which is why they keep doing it. When it comes to anybody that said something five, 10 years ago, I know that I'm not perfect, as you said. I've said some things and I refuse to apologize. I'm not even apologizing for something I said last week. If my intentions were pure, I'm not gonna allow somebody to make me think that they weren't. And with, with Joe Rogan, he addressed them calling him racist even then. So I don't even feel like his intentions, he had poor intentions or he meant for it to be racist. He addressed it at the time. Now I can understand 
understand, again, why black people felt like it's racist, because we get very emotional. This is why we went on a whole campaign to get a woman off a syrup bottle. And the company is still selling the same pancake mix and syrup just with a different name. If it wasn't selling, they would have pulled it off the shelf by now. No one cares. We get played time and time again, and we allow them to play us. It And when it comes to Joe Rogan and this whole misinformation, I'm getting sick of people calling it misinformation simply because it's not mainstream narrative. I just lost someone yesterday, found out this morning, massive heart attack. I talked to a family member that said they are pretty positive they had the vaccination. Now, I don't know if it's a coincidence, but I've lost about five people in the last month. I've had strokes. They've had they've had heart attacks. I don't think it's a coincidence. And it's pissing me off that people keep saying, oh, it's misinformation. No, it's other information. It's other information. And this is what we need because we can't trust the medical community. We can't trust Big Pharma. We can't tra trust the mainstream media. People are lying and withholding information. We should know the risk in taking an experimental uh, jab. Everybody should know that. But yet people are going in thinking that, oh, my God, I got to get this to stay alive when there's a 99 point point something for every age that you have the ability to survive this virus. So I'm seeing people step into situations that they don't have to. And I'm just sick of the whole misinformation narrative. You may not agree, but we should all have access to all information so that we can make the decision that's best for us. When you're hiding it, that's not the right way that it should be done. Of course, if you tag something misinformation, people are going to automatically think it's not true. Well, these are reputable doctors that have come forward to give us other ways of thinking. It should just be called other information and it should be allowed. St they need to stop lying and we can't trust them. I, I don't. And I'm 54 I entered the profession of journalism in 1990, and it just, this word misinformation just seems to have come about in the last three or four years out of nowhere, and it's the most powerful word in all of journalism now. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't understand how we just invented this, this concept of like, oh, there's all this misinformation, and the American public is so stupid that unless we deplatform Joe Rogan and Alex Jones and Donald Trump and Louis Farrakhan, you can't filter through the misinformation. You're not smart enough. And, and, and I, I go back to, and people get pissed at me or uncomfortable when I keep talking about it, but when I was in college, I'm just, nobody on my campus at Ball State ingested, digested more Louis Farrakhan speeches than me. And I was able to, in my view, filter through the parts that I thought were bad information and stupid and didn't uh, coincide with my beliefs and take out the things that I thought did coincide with my beliefs, primarily the responsibility of the black man for himself, his family, and his community. 
Those were my takeaways. That's what attracted me to Louis Farrakhan. There's a lot of things that he said that I just completely disagreed with, totally uh, were contradictory to my core values. I, I just, I've never been a racist person. I've never thought that white people were the devil. Uh, and he would say those things. And right. I would blow right past, but, but now we live in this time where everybody is so stupid, they don't have their own filters, they don't have common sense, they can't decipher things for themselves. There's these magical special people on CNN and MSNBC who, who are, you know, Don Lemon and Rachel Maddow and Anderson Cooper, they're the three smartest people in the world, and unless they say it, it's not trustworthy information. The shit is, excuse me, the, the, it's just, it's driving me crazy. And I, my larger point today, uh, Shamika, is just that journalists, comedians, and ministers are supposed to be the gatekeepers of the truth. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to be legalized to say things that are uncomfortable, and, and, and we're taking that away from them. And, and big tech, the social media apps, those are actually the discerners of truth and the arbiters of truth. And it just seems crazy. And I, 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 I get we keep having this show and keep talking about it because I guess we're trying to wake people up, shake people up to a, 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 a greater reality. But it just it, this issue seems most acute with us as black people sure. because of this little tactic of calling everything racist and, th and then once it's deemed racist again. Let's say Joe Rogan is a racist. If, it's, if he's a racist and said today is Tuesday, that's still a fact that I gotta deal with. I can't, exactly. just because he's a racist doesn't make today Wednesday. Exactly. We were always taught to eat the meat and spit out the bones. Or I would hear people say, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You take what you need to take from it and leave the rest. And if you can't do that, that's not you. I shouldn't be censored because somebody else doesn't have the ability to filter through to see what's real and what's not. And that's what they're trying to do. They do think that we're stupid and we have the inability to do that. And black people fall right into line when they say things like, oh, it's racist and we should just get rid of it all. No, eat the meat and spit out the bones. You should be old enough now to be able to do that. If you can't, that's something wrong with you. It's a personal problem. And when it comes to preachers, they have made me uh, the most upset because I can remember sitting in church knowing that I had just sinned the night before, maybe right before I walked in the door. And they would preach the word of God with such conviction that it would convict me as someone who knew uh, what the Bible said and knew right from wrong. Now they can't even do that. I remember when I, it was one of, I think maybe Vicki Winans, I can't really remember. She gave, uh, she spoke somewhere she had to preach and she actually spoke the scripture and people came for her saying that she was being homophobic. She was reading the scripture. That's why I like uh, Bryson Gray who just put out this new uh, album. I think it's called Me Versus Them or Us Versus Them or The Industry or something like that. He speaks a lot of scripture and it's really like let, it, let the 
chips fall where it may, where they may. That's the way it's supposed to be. As a preacher, you should not be bowing down to society. You should be standing on the word of God, knowing that it is like a two edged sword. If it cuts you, it just cuts you. Point blank, period. Thank you, Shamika. Thank awesome you. Awesome job, as always. Uh, Delano, uh, just around the corner. Uh, but before I go, I want to tell you about Patriot Mobile. People make a big deal out of New Year's resolutions, but, what, but I want you to commit to one right now. Resolve to do something that will help get this country back on track. Support causes and companies that share our values and love this country. I'm proud to partner with Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative cell phone provider. They offer broad nationwide coverage and in fact, use the same towers as the major carriers so you get the same great nationwide coverage plus the peace of mind that your money isn't supporting the left. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget and their 100% US-based team provides exceptional customer support. More importantly, Patriot Mobile shares your values and supports organizations fighting for religious freedom, constitutional rights, and the sanctity of life. Go to patriotmobile.com slash Jason, or call 972-PATRIOT. Get free activation with the offer code Jason. Veterans and first responders save even more. So make the switch today. Support a company that loves America, loves you, and shares your values. PatriotMobile.com slash Jason, or call 972-PATRIOT. All right, welcome back. Uh, time to roll out to D.C. and bring in the smartest man on the show, Delano Squires. Uh, Delano has written a, another column uh, today, uh, this time about uh, Black Lives Matters and uh, BLM still finding ways to mishandle funds or spend funds. They're back in the news again about $60 million worth of I think misappropriate, or who knows what. I'll let Delano explain. Uh, Delano, uh, BLM back in the news uh, again. How come? So, so first of all, Jason, I just want to say glad to have you back. I'm glad you're looking healthy and rested, <laughs> so, you know, ready to get back at it. So um, BLM's been in the news, I think, because... Um, some reports have come out of how they have handled over $60 million in donations, and particularly their purchase of, I, want, I believe it was a 10,000 square foot mansion in Canada, which is linked to, um, I guess, the, the wife or spouse or partner of Patrice Cullors, one of the uh, co-founders of BLM. So um, in, in my article, I, I lead with that, and I said, this is the reason that, you know, their name is coming back up in the media. Um, and I acknowledge that um, their fiscal mismanagement makes for good, you know, social media fodder. But my article really is is focused on something different, um, because to me, the biggest takeaway from BLM and their both their rise and fall over the last couple of years is what it says about us and our society and our culture and our leaders um, and, and the citizens of this country. And, and if I had to just put it, you know, straightforwardly is um, we allowed BLM and the radical activists that started it 
to play on our emotions. And they took advantage of a weak leadership class and um, a gullible populace for the most part to enact their own radical agenda and transform our society. Um, and to me, it's important when you, when you realize that you have a weakness, um, right? When your body is being attacked by an autoimmune disease, it's important to identify that and to get the proper treatment so that it doesn't happen again. And when I look at BLM and in the column, I, 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 I talked about Colin Kaepernick because to me, he is probably the single person who sort of has you know introduced um, some of the themes of social justice and racial justice into the mainstream. And when you look at how the media treated Kaepernick and BLM, what you see is a consistent pattern, which is journalists abandoning their responsibilities to ask questions, to probe, to challenge um, in favor of being advocates of people. And they were advocates of people, you know, who advanced an ideology that the journalists either didn't know, didn't understand, or didn't want to know. So to me, when, you're, when you say that you attach yourself to a movement, the first question you should ask yourself is, well, where is this movement going? And in Colin Kaepernick's uh, case, his final destination, or one of his final destinations, was a call for the full abolition of police and prisons. And in BLM's case, they use the, the ignorance, the incuriousness of our media class to advance their real priorities, which are you know, LGBT advocacy, the abolition of police, and making money. You know, you started out mentioning the rise and the fall of mm -hmm. BLM. I'm not sure if there's actually been a fall. I, I, I think there's been a rise, and now we've just been reading stories about how they split up the spoils of what they pulled off. And I, I think that there are those of us at the beginning that thought, man, this is some BS, and we still think that. But then I think there's a bunch of people that see, and, I, and I'm not even talking about hardcore BLM supporters. I'm mm -hmm. talking about black people in corporate America who think that, man, this BLM thing was a great success. Look, Malika Andrews is hosting that show on ESPN, and Joe Biden is saying he's going to hire a black female Supreme Court justice, and there's all these little jobs people are pointing to. Look how it advanced my career, and my company has a whole diversity uh, wing now set up, diversity and inclusion, and blah. And so I think they see BLM as a huge success story that has benefited many of them individually uh, and, and has, has a lasting impact within corporate America. Everybody has a diversity department uh, that employs, you know, half dozen, a dozen people. And the, everybody's got a little extra layer of bureaucracy within their corporation mm. that is manned by someone of color, preferably African-American, uh, is the preferred color, uh, and they see it as this great success story. Uh, so Jason, I think you bring up, bring up an excellent point. 
But our two points, I don't think, are incompatible. So I'll say it this way. When I say the fall of BLM, I mean, BLM was on the lips of every Democratic politician, um, every institution, corporations, big tech, um, all the sports leagues. Their logo was, in, was in, you know, sort of emblazoned on, on NBA courts and on, you know, baseball diamonds. Um, the Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, when they were running, you know, for office, said that, you know, that, that they're going to meet with BLM and they made all these promises. But as soon as the election took place, they just fell off the radar completely um, from all of the people who had been advocating for them. And and around that time, I, I was listening to, you know, a, a lecture by a former uh, KGB spy, a, a gentleman named Yuri Bezmenov, who I've, I think I've mentioned before. And he said one of the things that happens in, in any revolutionary movement is that some of these um, entities, the people who push radicalism, who are used by the leaders of these movements, once the revolution or, or the revolutionaries take office, right? So think of your Fidel Castro's. Once they take office, the people who help them get there, the radicals who help them get there, are lined up and shot. Now, he was talking about you know, in, in a number of different countries back in, you know, mid 19, uh, 20th century. Obviously, we, we don't do that here in America. But what you see is once the people who want to use the, the radicals and the activists took power, the activists were basically shooed away. Their, their calls weren't answered, being answered anymore. Um, and they just lost all of the cultural capital that they that they had gained really in between, let's call it June of 2020 and December of 2020. Um, once the Biden administration came into office, again, I just saw a lot less of Patrice Cullors and Alicia Garza on TV, and I, I saw fewer BLM logos you know, in stadiums and fewer people talking about them. But, but, but you, you, you bring up an excellent point, which is a lot of sort of the, the, the members of our ruling class, you, you talked about, you know, journalists and athletes and entertainers and corporate, you know, folks were able to use BLM, use the, the, the guilt that many white liberals had about things that have happened both in our country's long history and then obviously with George Floyd to advance their own agenda. And part of my contention is that Many of us, both in the leadership class and everyday citizens, got suckered by BLM. And I was actually saying this to one of, one of my good friends who, in the summer of 2020, while cities were burning, right, while he was still feeling certain emotions around George Floyd's murder, one of his responses in our group chat was, yeah, burn it down, right, burn it all down. Now, I know he didn't really believe this, because he's married, he's got a wife, he's got kids, and I know he would hate to see someone do that to his own property, but he was speaking out of his emotions, which he would later admit. Now what you have, when you have mayors and prosecutors and, and, and even a president who undermines law and order, which then leads to uh, disorder and chaos and a 30% spike in murders from 2019 to 2020, is all of these same people saying, hey, where are the police? Why, why aren't the police doing anything to stop this? And what I told him was, you got suckered. You let people use your emotions. 
They're, they're playing chess, you're playing checkers. They suckered you into advancing their agenda, and now they are rich, our cities are more dangerous, and a lot more black lives have been lost. All of that is true. The only thing, and I don't know if I'm addressing this directly or if, it, if I'm a little bit off point, but earlier this morning I was reading some article on rollingstone.com, Rolling Stone magazine, and off to the right a video started playing and it was somebody interviewing Ta-Nehisi Coates, who to me is one of these early revolutionary radicals or whatever, and mm -hmm. I clicked to turn the sound up to see what he was talking about, and he was basically talking about some series or TV something that Showtime or HBO had financed that he and two or three of his friends had concocted, and, and I just, I saw it, saw him, saw the interview and what was taking place, and, and I was just like, this is what this has always been about, mm -hmm. elevating Ta-Nehisi Coates and these radicals that allegedly America is racist, except when it's benefiting mm -hmm. them, and, and now that you know, they're in power and they're getting the documentaries and TV shows they want produced, now you know, they're off the front lines uh, calling for, you know, and they want peace in the streets or whatever because they've acquired their power and they bought their homes in the predominantly white neighborhoods and they mm. just want law and order to be restored. And so I, I guess to, so I think there's a small handful of people that were suckered and then I think there's a great vast majority of people that I think knew what this was about from the word go and just wanted to enrich themselves and improve their situation within their company as best they could. Uh, and, and now, you know, uh, Black Lives Matters has just rebranded. It's still the same thing, but instead now they call it, in, in the NFL they call it Inspire Change instead of Black mm. Lives Matter. And, and th that's, it's almost like from the wire, uh, it's the same dope, they just put it in a different package and call it a different name, and the, right. the dope fiends don't even know the difference that it, it's still just the same dope. So, so there's a couple points I wanna, I wanna take. One, I'll start with the last one first. Um, BLM has basically lost all three of its co-founders. So I think Alicia Garza stepped down from sort of leadership a couple years ago, and then Patrice Cullors stepped down. So, uh, in many ways, it is a it is a ship without a without a rudder, right? And then I think it was last year there were a number of local chapters that signed a letter criticizing the sort of national organization for how they were managing money, and really criticizing them because the local chapters were saying none of that money that that you know the three co-founders took in ever reached you know, those people on the ground. Um, so, so I think that that's one thing. It, it's just uh, the, the organizational structure has changed to the point now where it's, the, the shell is there, there's a bank account full of money, but no one knows who's leading it and what's being done with it. So that's one point. Um, I will say this. I have talked about, um, on, on this show before, the symbiotic relationship 
between black liberals who are seeking empathy for injustices that they never endured and white liberals who are seeking absolution for sins that they never have committed, that they've never committed. But there's a third group there, and that's the masses, the rest of us. And they have a parasitic relationship with us and particularly with the black community. So they will see the, the brutalized body of a, of a black man. And particularly, they love the ones that, that are brutalized at the hands of a white police officer or even a white vigilante. And they will use that to advance their agenda. So, so yes, I agree that there's a small number of people who got rich and much more, became much more prominent in the wake of George Floyd's death. The irony is I would say the first person on that list, and particularly right after he died, was a white woman, was Robin DiAngelo, right? No one ate better off of George Floyd's death than Robin DiAngelo in, in the early periods. Ibram Kendi, I would say, eclipsed her eventually because I think the market corrected itself and realized that a white woman who's benefiting from the death of a black man is just not a good look. So Kendi sort of rose in prominence. Nicole Hannah-Jones was there with, with him and a couple other, you know, Coates has, has sort of been around, not as prominent in recent years. But the other thing, and I would disagree with you here, I would say a good number of people, and particularly people in the black community, did get suckered. Jason, how often have you heard people say, particularly, let's say, six to nine months after George Floyd was killed, right? People would say this. Well, I, I don't really, I'm not into the organization Black Lives Matter. I'm just, I support the movement. And my response would be, it doesn't matter whether you are into the organization. When you get on a bus, I'm a New Yorker, I grew up taking public transportation. When I get on a bus, I, as the passenger, do not determine where that bus is going. The driver determines. And the driver determines that based on on a route that was created long before I got on. So as long as I'm on the bus, the driver is the one that is dictating where we go. So if you throw your support behind an organization that wants to defund the police, that says that cops are basically the modern day slave patrol and you know they implement white supremacy, when you do those things and those things cause you to support again, policies that take resources away from law enforcement or cause you to vote for candidates who say that they're going to go soft on crime, that they're not going to enforce crimes, then you should not be surprised when murders go up in your city. And whether that's New York City or Philadelphia, where they eclipsed over 530 murders um, last year, that, that is the anticipated result of doing things that undermine the civil order. And they should not come as a surprise. Um, I talked about my family background, you know, back in December. M both of my grandfathers, you know, had land that they that they worked. When they go out to plant sweet potatoes in, in the field, and then they come back some sometime later, and they reap those sweet potatoes, they should not be surprised, because you you reap what you sow, and this is what we sowed in in our society. So it's not a surprise to me that a lot of cities have have become you know, unlivable for some people, because this is what the masses of people who thought that they were doing the right thing, um, this is what they voted for. And that's why I ended my column by saying, you referenced the, the diversity, inclusion, and equity, you know, industry, which we call die around these parts. I'm saying we need a new movement of discernment, wisdom, and knowledge, because we, we took an issue, police brutality, which is a legitimate issue, Right. We had knowledge of it. 
And instead of being wise about who we aligned ourselves with and using discernment to sniff out the true believers from the Trojan horses, we allowed people to play on our emotions and we granted access into our communities for them to advance a totally different agenda. And one of the things, and I said this in the column for BLM, that should have been an immediate red flag is when an organization that says it's committed to the upliftment of black people also says that it is commitment committed to the destruction of the nuclear family, that should have set off red flags. So when BLM goes to interview with Roland Martin, he should have said, so, so tell me, y'all, why is it that you're against the nuclear family? Why do you think that too many intact families is a problem for the black community? But he never did that. Neither did Joy Reid, neither did the folks at The Root, neither did the hosts on MSNBC. They didn't even ask BLM why an organization that says it's against police violence never used the words police or brutality in any of its guiding principles. So to me, again, the, the biggest lesson here is that when you have weak leadership and a populace that's ill-informed, we are, are completely vulnerable to being taken advantage of by, by radical ideologues. I, I know you're right. I just, and again, I'm trying not to be overcome with cynicism and despair or whatever, but yeah. I, 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 I just don't know if we can fix it because I'll go back to where we began today's show and what mm. we were discussing with Shamika and Royce White before you is that uh, if you just attach the word racism to uh, an issue, our discernment just goes out the window. Our mm. scrutiny just goes out the window. If, if, if something is labeled, oh, that's racist, that's the end of the discussion, that's the end of any logic, reason, we, we don't need to scrutinize it, not, nothing. And, and so I, I, they've made police brutality this omnipresent issue that must be solved and, and no one can even address like, you know, the number one reason why police actually are in our neighborhoods, they're generally arbitra they're arbitrating disputes among black men, primarily. Mm -hmm. that, that's what brings them there. And so we think the number one thing we need to do is, is teach our young men how to deal with the police. And logic and any discernment would tell you, no, we need to be taught how to deal with each other. Because mm. once we start learning how to deal with each other, there's less reason for uh, us to need an outside arbitrator called the police force uh, because we actually handle and settle these things without turning violent towards each other. Uh, and so the police don't get called. But uh, Delano, great priest, great conversation as always. Uh, appreciate you. I'm, I'm, I keep telling everybody I'm 100%, but there's something with the Omicron or whatever that, uh, I don't know, I'm just, I'm not all the way back, but I'm back and it's good to be back. Uh, thank you uh, for your visit thank you, today. Jason. All right, uh, this is why you guys need to go to my go-to doc. As most of you know, I came down with a mild case of COVID last week. It was an interesting time for me because it allowed me to reflect more on my health. I've talked about the health challenges I've made and health changes I've made this past year, but one of my new favorites is my go-to doc.com. Doc, 
This latest strain of COVID, the Omicron variant, is milder than the Delta variant. But let me tell you, I know many people who had a really tough time of it. High-risk patients need meds on hand so they can start treatment fast, and low-risk patients often benefit from off-label meds because they can prevent long-haul COVID, which can be debilitating. Here are three reasons that I love Dr. Saeed Hader at MyGoToDoc.com. One, he's a COVID expert. This is all he does, and he's treated over 40,000 patients with zero deaths. Two, you can register and ask questions for free. Three, they connect you to pharmacies that ship you a full 28 doses of ivermectin for less than $150. MyGoToDoc.com is your go-to source for COVID-19. I encourage you to check them out today. That's MyGoToDoc.com. We must exist in a state of man glorious as we are protected by the red, the white, and the blue. But remember, the mind is the key. The fearless soldier pledges to place God first and foremost in his everyday endeavors of life. We, the fearless army, are one nation under God, indivisible with freedom and a belief in the American dream. The men bold enough to join our movement comprise what we like to call the new dream team. We are leaders of our families, our churches, and of this nation. We reject the seeds of division that are planted by corporate media misinformation. We affirm that all men are created equal and are endowed with inalienable rights which are granted by our Heavenly Father. We are bound by honor to accept God's challenge, to take the flag and lead, to cherish, to protect, and to nurture the life of our unborn seed. I am a fearless soldier, so shed no tears for me. I am not a victim. I am the man that God made me to be. Amen. All right, welcome back. Time for my favorite part of the show. Because I'm here. I'm glad, no. you, I'm glad to hear you say that. that this is, because this is the part you wait on, because this is when I'm here with you. Well, yes and no, but it's mostly your, your job is to come on and tell me how great I was. I'm always disappointed you, you somehow figure out a way not to tell me how great I was, but every day is a new opportunity. Uh, I was phenomenal today, Jim, and uh, you know, the floor, I'll let you follow in off that comment. Jason Whitlock was tremendous today. Jason Whitlock was tremendous today, especially if you saw him on Instagram Live this morning in the makeup room. Oh, you like that with... Uh, me and Tiffany on Instagram, yeah. Look okay, at, I need to know how much of that story was true. How much of what story was true? What, what, uh, wait, wait, let, let me see, because I know you tweeted out, you've been joking tweeting out about oh, McDonald's yeah. and the whole surfing turf. But, you went down a whole, what's your favorite fast food? What do you think? What, you went down that whole thing with her. And then I heard you say, no, hold on, I'm sorry, did I hear you say this correctly? 
I ain't had no fast food since. Uncle Jimmy got sick August 17th. When you came down with COVID, I gave up fast food. And I haven't, but this damn McDonald's surf and turf is haunting me. It's, it's the double cheeseburger and the filet of fish sandwich combined. Th that's, and that, that's, that's R. Kelly and Jay-Z, the best of both worlds. I'm yeah. just sorry. And I know you're not supposed to say that that's R. Kelly's horrible. in jail, but. That is, that is terrible. <laughs> Go ahead, keep on talking. I'm listening. Jim. Go ahead. I'm listening. If you got one of them surfing turfs, we got problems. Hey, go ahead. Is that I, a surfing turf? No, that, that, that's just, just, just a little, you know. You, Filet ahead, keep on talking. <laughs> you just keep on talking. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's the little surfing turf right there. Go ahead. Keep that's on. the hold on. If you got the surfing turf, I literally. Oh, hold on. Let me. Wait a minute, Jason. Can we finish this? Uh, <laughs> here it is. Here it is. This is it right here. That's the surfing turf. Sur well, I mean, that, that's my surfing turf, but don't touch it. Come on, man. Keep on with the segment. What was we talking about? Oh, my God. Jason, will you keep on what we was talking about? Lord you messing this whole me. segment up. You, we supposed to be. Jason, come on, man. What was you saying, bro? Come on. Oh. Listen, remember you said it August 7th. Jason, put it down. Step, Jake. Jason, come on, man. You better. Jason, you better than this, man. Tiffany! <laughs> Tiffany! Jason, come Jason, don't, don't do it, man. Don't, don't trade places for what I've been through, Mr. Seeley. <laughs> Go ahead, Woo. No. Jason, will you? Oh, the double cheeseburger. <sighs> Jason, come on, man. You're doing too much, man. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you something, because this is what amazes me. Who, who paid for this? Did you Wait a minute, try, I, it? What? Oh, that's the double filet of fish. <laughs> <laughs> that's the double filet of fish right there, bro. <laughs> that is the double filet. Oh, no. I'm, I'm going to leave that right there. I'm going to no, leave that right there. Jason, come on, man. Don't do that, big bro. And you got it with extra cheese, too. This is exactly how I like it. That's what he said. Is this for Jason? <laughs> This is for Jason, he like extra fish. Extra sauce and cheese. <sighs> Jim, that. Oh, you know what? And I was being disrespectful to you because I know you're healthy. There's a little smoothie there for you. And it'll wash it all down. Strawberry shake? Strawberry banana. Strawberry, wow. With a little kale. <laughs> Takes off the pounds in your tail. Go ahead. <laughs> Wow. I, I, I'm, I'm so wrong for this. This really is so are. wrong. I, I, if you double filet of fish sandwich, double cheeseburger, the surf and turf. Is that a large order of fries? Medium order. Hold on. Wait just a second. Yes, I got a medium That's a large order. They still warm? Hell, they, they just delivered it. What you talking about? It's still warm. I hope that McDonald's appreciates this free hour, but I, this is authentic. <laughs> I, my love affair with McDonald's goes way, way back. But we got to get onto the pool, right? Yes, please. Let's. And I'm so are you over? So are you over it now? Never mind. Don't even answer that. You see, look, Corey, he did like this. He said, <laughs> I do want. <laughs> I do want the surf and turf. Come on, man. Let's keep going, man. Let's, let's give the approval rating on the new surfing turf. 
uh, let's give the approval rating on Joe Rogan. I can't, you know what? I got to be honest with you. I'm very proud of myself because I really do miss the double filet of fish sandwich. I'm going to tell you something. And I miss the double cheese. I'm proud of you, too. Because if you did the exact same thing to me and you lined up four fat women like that, <laughs> oh, I can't guarantee you I wouldn't have jumped into them. <laughs> so come on, man. You better man than me. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's go to Joe Rogan, our approval rating of Joe Rogan. Uh, job performance. Uh, I, I'm marking down a couple points just because he's issued a, a somewhat of an apology, but I gave him a 23 in job performance. What do you issue an apology for? I give him a 25. The man got the number one podcast in America. Come on, man. Keep it moving. I tend to. You know, when you tipped your hat, it's almost like you were bald. Did you cut your hair off? Don't worry about it. We got a video coming up. We'll talk about it. <laughs> uh, character. Uh, I didn't, again, I don't like the apology, so I, uh, 16 as it re- relates to character for Joe Rogan. I give him a 23. I ain't got a problem with none of the characters I see Joe Rogan playing, man. I ain't got no problem with it. Authenticity. Uh, again, the apology bothers me, so I gave him a 20 in authenticity. First of all, I give him a 25. He is what he is. And what he is, he's one of the few people, Jason, that has actually questioned the establishment. He ain't challenged them. He just presented questions. And it, this is becoming, I mean, truthfully, man, we are living in a society now. It used to be you couldn't challenge authority. But now you can't even question authority. You know, folks is getting all upset about this comment about the planet of the apes. Man, let me tell you something, man, as a black man, and I'm going to say this in front of everybody. Hey, man, I said years ago, my mother, my mother-in-law looked just like a silverback. And nobody ever agreed with me. So go ahead, man. What's a silverback? I'll show you a picture of my ex-mama-in-law and you'll see. <laughs> the silverback is that one that got the hair that come out like this. And when they come at you, they be climbing on their knuckles like this. Oh my God! It looked like my ex mother. I didn't know. I, I thought a silverback was a snake or something. Uh, it factor. <laughs> it factor. I've given him a twenty-one. Uh, it won't make me. I gave him a twenty-one. I gave him a twenty. What I give him? I gave him. What did I give him? I gave him a twenty-one. Okay. Yeah. Hey man, it, it won't make me stop watching Fear Factor. Won't make me stop watching UFC. And it ain't gonna make me stop listening to his podcast. You know why? Cause my grandmama told me, it's not what they call you, baby. It's what you answer to. That best don't bother me, man. I got bigger problems in my life as a black man. Mm. Uh, I tend to agree. Uh, I've got him at 80 overall, a smoke show. You got him blazing hot, 94. Mm. How much did he sell that podcast for, Big Bro? million. How much you want to sell yours for? Yeah. All right, then, rest my case. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that's a good start I want to follow, ain't it? I'll take a, del- a filet of fish. Don't do it, Big Bro. Jason, Jason. I should have just a little, a bite. Jason, Jason, no, don't, don't, don't. Like they said in color purple. Don't do it, Mr. Seeley. Don't trade places for what I done been through. You's come too far, Jason, to let a little filet of fish, a little turf and surf throw you away. All right, that's tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. Looking 
feeling like a fly time, feeling all kinds of freedom. These words are our religion, our regrets, and our decisions. We don't wanna go to heaven with freedom. It's my obligation, no hate, discrimination. Raising up your hands for freedom. Raise up your hands for freedom. I just want, I wanna be, I just.